electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders recorded at CNBC's live events. Today, a conversation with Ellen Coleman, president and CEO of the 3D printing company Carbon. She joined me at CNBC's At Work Summit on October 6, 2020, an event focused on the future of work. We invited Ellen to speak on one of her areas of expertise, leading a company through crisis. She's done it several times. First, in 2009, she became chairman and CEO of DuPont at the very depth of the financial crisis. She fought and won a battle against a persistent shareholder activist. And most recently, she became president and CEO of Carbon, a 3D printing startup just three months before the pandemic hit. Here's our conversation. Over the years, and you've worked at GE and other places, and you've been through different business cycles of boom and bust and, 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 uh, and back again, what have you learned over those years that has helped you, guided you, in this crisis, this pandemic? You know, it's interesting because crises historically have been very similar in terms of, you know, it's a crisis of demand, um, markets turn down. This one um, is doubly so because it's not only a crisis of demand, a recession, but it's a pandemic. So there's health issues and also a crisis of supply. So one of the first things I learned as we're coming through any kind of crisis is help the team focus on what they can control. There's a lot of reasons to talk about things and you don't have answers to that there is nothing you can do about. And so helping the team, helping yourself focus on what you can control, what's the most important thing to do for your business right now. I think the second thing is around communication. Um, your people are scared. My people are scared. Uh, they want to know what it is they should do to help. And being very open with them, bringing them in, talking to them constantly about what's going on, about what they should focus on is really important. And, you know, the one thing is true is that we're going to come out of this differently than we went into it. And so what is the new trajectory uh, we need to create for our business? And if we can really focus on those simple three things and then continue to instill great pride in our organizations. I think it gives people more focus. It gives them a little more understanding of what they can do to really help the company get through these times. You know, it's a, it's, this is a different kind of crisis because so many of us now are working remotely. I, I heard an interview you did with Stephanie Mehta of Fast Company uh, a few months ago. And, and you told an anecdote of, of when you were at DuPont and during that crisis, you could go and visit offices. You were on airplanes. You could go and check in with your employees, knock on their door and see how they were doing and what issues they were facing. It's very different this time. You can't do that uh, as safely now, uh, if at all. So so how do you communicate effectively 
when the means of communication can't be person to person? You know, I think the the, uh, the answer is how do you keep yourself focused and engaged, right, in terms of, of creating those opportunities to do that. We started with a, you know, we called it a stand-up meeting, although we were all sitting in front of Zoom every day, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes with the staff. What's going on in your area? What questions do you have? You know, allowing us to understand what we were allowed to do, not allowed to do in our laboratories and our manufacturing area. I think the other thing is you have to have a really good system of, of you know, cadence and keeping in touch with people. You know, even if it's 15 minutes or a five-minute phone call, but you have to schedule it. You know, it's hard to. I mean, sometimes I just pick up the phone and call one of my people and you know, leave a message and say, hey, get back to me whenever you can. Or text. We use a lot of text to keep up on what's, um, you know, what needs a quick turnaround. You know, because when you're on Zoom meetings eight, ten hours a day, it's hard to get a quick turnaround. Um, and so we've really, you know, reached in terms of um, staying connected, uh, using our not only the technology but our assistants to help say, hey, have you talked to Jason in the last uh, week? I don't see him on your schedule. And making sure that we keep that um, connectivity that's so very important for keeping things moving forward. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Obviously, DuPont was uh, of a totally different scale than Carbon is. Uh, I don't know how many employees you had when it was there, 60,000, 90,000. Uh, carbon is roughly 400, 450. Talk to me about the different challenges uh, of, of navigating through a crisis at a company of such large and global scale versus one that is smaller. They each would have challenges of their own, I'm sure. Well, they do, and they're kind of different sides of the same coin. Um, the problem with a 60,000-person company is how do you get to each person? How do you get them to understand what's going on? You know, we, you know, we can rely on videos back then. We could, you know, do different town halls. You know, if we couldn't fly there, we could do it virtually type of thing. 400 is a little easier. You know, we do a Friday um, meeting every Friday for and scheduled for an hour, have topics, have outside speakers. Probably two, 300 can join any Friday. It's a lot easier to keep that cadence going at a 400-person company than it is at a 60,000-person uh, company. But a 60,000-person company has a lot of resources. Uh, they have a lot of capability, a lot of depth. And in times of crisis, you really do use that. Uh, in a 400-person company, we certainly have a lot of uh, capable people and uh, tremendously creative people. Um, but we have to learn how to reach out and fill in the gaps that we have so that we really don't miss anything as we work our way through this. Um, but, you know, it takes tenacity. It takes proactivity. You know, it's easy to be reactive when somebody sends you a note. You've got to learn how to be very proactive because you're not going to run into them in the lunchroom. You're not going to run into them getting a cup of coffee. And so that maintaining a cadence of proactivity is very important. 
I'm very interested, and, and we're going to pivot a little bit in just a moment to how how you interact with customers um, uh, beyond the, the, your own workforce. But let's spend a little more time on uh, on workforce things. How do you, in a in a crisis like this one, where people are distributed around the uh, the, the the country or maybe the world and working from home, how do you manage or 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 observe performance and 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 manage performance the way you need to to keep everybody on the same page and moving forward and as an allied point how do you tackle the issue of how to onboard people uh, when you may not even get a chance to meet them in person right well you know i think that uh, one of the things that we did this year is we had our annual goals but certainly many of them have been altered due to the reality of the covid crisis and so we created second half goals as we came through the second quarter, really saw what was impacted, like dental is a very large marketplace for us, and they were pretty much shut down in the second quarter. So we recast the second half in terms of what was really important for us to accomplish, not only from a number standpoint, but key projects key deliverables on hardware or software or service and really kept that in front of the team. And, you know, third quarter turned out better than we thought. I think things are recovering in dental and in other areas. But it really is rewriting the future and really focusing people on what we need to get done this quarter. Um, and in the individual conversations with my people, focusing on that hey, we were supposed to get the software out in October. How'd we do? When did we get it out? Um, did it have all the features in it we wanted to? And really create those conversations um, and that cadence in that conversation that really matters. And so it is, you know, a recasting, a, you know, up a new trajectory for the company. And it's making sure that we're all together and aligned on what that is. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Let's talk a little bit about supply chain. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, 3D printing has its own uh, unique uh, facets. But how has your supply chain been disrupted, if at all? And how have you dealt with that? So our supply chain has been, um, you know, pretty steady. Um, we have um, our uh, suppliers, you know, we're feeding us on a consistent basis um, and really haven't been short parts in order to get the, the printers that we need produced in the time frame we've needed them. But I'll tell you, those time frames have extended out because we can't 
install them or couldn't install them in the second quarter because we couldn't get our service people, our people into certain states, into certain um, establishments based on the criteria that each state used around, um, around those areas with the pandemic. Um, what was interesting to me and very different than when I ran DuPont was the flexibility and really the resilience of 3D printing at a time like this. Many supply chains were tremendously challenged, yet we in the first week put a design out on the web for face shields, something that was in short supply. Seventy of our production partners picked that up and started producing face shields that they could distribute locally. So the flexibility of 3D printing, the inherently being able to put the product anywhere in the world you want to, because the design's out on the web, you can download it into any printer anyway, was very, very helpful during these times. We did the same thing with nasal swabs, with Resolution Medical. So it really showed the power, the flexibility, and the resilience that having 3D printing as part of your supply chain, I mean, it can really make a difference in these times when there was a, not only a demand disruptor, but there was a supply disruptor. Did that experience teach you uh, a lesson about how 3D printing can be used at a much larger scale than many of us might think uh, it could be? You know, we're in a unique situation in that we have tested that scale with one of our partners, Adidas, um, which is making midsoles for the 4D future shoe right now and, um, and making them in hundreds of thousands and millions of pairs. And so we've worked towards mm. making 3D printing not just a low volume or prototyping tool, but relevant in a high volume, uh, you know, cost sensitive marketplace. And I think it is true that many companies, if you see, have have um, started to think about this differently. You know, supply chains are hard to change. People get very um, comfortable in the assuredness of a global integrated supply chain. But when it gets disrupted, when you see the weakness of it, people start to think differently. And certainly we're taking the time to talk to our production partners, talk to OEMs about what 3D printing can do to enable a more resilient supply chain for them in the future. I want to come back to, uh, as we as we wrap our, our segment here, and we're very grateful for your time, Ellen, I want to come back to something you began with, and, and it, it seems to me to be uh, the hallmark of your management style in times of crisis, and that is you began by saying uh, that, the, that the strongest message you can deliver is to control what you can control. So, so come back to that and elaborate a little bit. And, and give us some examples of things in, in, in real life, real time, that were examples of things you could control, whether it was uh, boosting your cash levels and managing your cash better, and some examples of things that maybe you just couldn't control for now and you needed to, to set aside. You know, we couldn't control demand. You know, people were hesitant to make commitments because not understanding how the world was going to progress in the coming months and quarters. But what we could control is, do we get that software upgrade out on time? What kind of features does it have that will enable our customers when they come back and start producing again at relevant levels? And so focusing on what we can control means really dissecting all the activities you have going on and then putting your effort towards the ones that can make a difference. For instance, in the state of California, we couldn't operate our labs unless they were working on something relevant to the pandemic, to the medical industry, which is why we pivoted to face shields and the nasal pharyngeal swabs. 
And that enabled our people to stay focused on designs and working with our production partners on doing something that in a small way could benefit at this time of great uncertainty. And I think it created a lot of wonderful camaraderie among our team and the feeling that we were there to help. We might be small, we might only be 400 people, but we were doing our part to help in this pandemic. And that's tremendous to keep the morale and to keep the organization going. So many times it's small things like keeping a research program going, calling that customer, even though you know they can't give you a different answer on their future that they gave you last week, but just asking them how they are. Is there anything we can do to help? Many times it's the small things like that that keep that connectedness with your suppliers, with your customers, with your people that makes a big difference on how you come out of any of these crises. And I'll conclude just with one that's out of, out of thin air, Ellen, if you don't mind. How much happier are you to run a small company that's not a big public company? It must be a real intriguing time in your life to do this. You know, um, I, you know I tell you, it's a lot more fun. Um, I, I know who my shareholders are. Most of them sit around uh, the board table. Um, we have conversations constantly. Um, you know, the pace is just different. There's a connectedness and a closeness and a pace of play. Um, and I don't get I don't have the filters that I had when you run a 60,000 person company. It's like, what is getting to you? What's not? Believe me, it all gets to me. And, um, and we just have a great team that works together on solving our problems and continuing to drive um, the company forward. It really is running a business as opposed to running a company. And it's a lot of fun. That was my conversation with Ellen Coleman, president and CEO of Carbon. She joined me at CNBC's At Work Summit on October 6, 2020. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information about upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.